We are, um, yeah, we're doing this series at the moment, the, the Prodigal series, which is a, a series out of Luke chapter 15 on the story of the Prodigal Son. And it's one of these amazing little uh, stories which Jesus is, tells, and, but there's an insane amount of cool theology which is wrapped in it. And it's, we often call it the Prodigal Son, but it's actually the story of two sons. And it's the older brother and the younger brother, and the father's heart towards them. And so we've gone through a few weeks. Uh, we did week one with the introduction context, the lost sheep and the lost coin. We did week two, disillusionment exile, when, when home isn't good enough. Uh, we did homecoming, he came to a sentence, our senses, which is repentance. And well, up to week four. It seems like the series gone on for ages. Does it feel like that to you, or is it just me? We're trying to prepare it. Uh, so this week we've got the, uh, the kiss, the robe, and the sandals, and some theology around grace on that, and next uh, week we tackle the older brother, um, that's going to be good, and then week six banquet, we had to celebrate as part of that, and just to give you a little bit of background, if you if you knew this morning, um, the reason for the parables, Jesus tells right at the beginning in Luke chapter 15, verse 1 and 2, it's the, the tax collectors and the sinners, they're all gathering and uh, around to hear Jesus and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they, be, they begin muttering. They're going, look, this, this Jesus guy, how come he hangs out and he even eats with sinners? What's going on with that? And um, so there's parables in response to those mutterings and the, and the attitude of the Pharisees because they had a pretty stink attitude. Let's be, let's be honest about it. So we've got two groups of people which we're addressing here. There's the, there's the tax collectors and the sinners which is represented by the younger brother, the wayward sinners and the moral outsiders. And then we've got the, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, which were represented by the older brother, the moral insiders, the established, and who followed the law and did what was required. But there's two... Oh, we lost. We're back. There's, there's two ways uh, to be alienated from God. And, and we see these two pers- personality types play out in society, and there's, you know, at the moment there's a whole lot of psychology dedicated to this. The, you know, the, the older brother, the younger brother, and sibling order, and, and where you're placed in the family affects your personality. And and it's the tendency for the older brother to be the the law keeper, the uh, people pleaser, the rule follower, the responsible one who obeys the parent standards, and, and then the younger brother, the younger sibling tends to be the rebel, the free spirit and the uh, rule breaker. I see some people nodding their head, other people shaking their head and go, am I, which one am I, which one am I? But it's the, it's the rule keepers versus the rule breakers, it's the status quo versus the rebel, it's the accountants versus the artists, it's the Prince Harry versus Prince William scenario uh, we've got going on here. And, and what, what, what I love is, is, you know, Jesus came, you know, 2,000 years ago and he had this radical, crazy, revolutionary message of love which totally transformed society, which shifted things incredibly. And you see as Christianity swept the world. And uh, Jesus' message was incredibly attractive to the outcasts and the sinners. They gathered around. They flocked to hear him. He ate with them. He included them. My fear is that 2,000 years later, as we sit in church this morning, that we have, the church has become again the Pharisees, the bigots, the hypocrites and the moral insiders and we create this insiders and outsiders. And that the sinners and the tax collectors, they don't want to turn up at church. They're avoiding it. 
And somehow, somehow, we need to recapture Jesus' message of grace and hope and love and forgiveness. And if we don't capture that message of how Jesus instructed his people and how he shared that, then I think, you know, the church is not in a very healthy or good place. And I want to point the finger at me first, you know. This is not finger pointing at anyone because I I am the church. I believe in the church. I, I have an absolute love and an absolute passion for the church and I want to see it do well. But let us not become the bigoted Pharisees. Let us understand the grace and the goodness of Jesus. So recap and then we'll get into today's message. It's Luke 15, the prodigals, okay, so he's come to a census. He's decided to turn towards home to the Father and he's rehearsed his little I'm not worthy speech. And we're going to just cover three verses today, Luke 15, 20 to 22. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Okay, let me try and unpack this for you. While he was still a long way off, let me tell you that the father is watching and waiting. But he doesn't wait for you to get all the way home. He runs out to meet you. He's listening. You know when you have teenagers, like we have three of them, and when you're waiting for them to come home after they've been out, and you're sitting and waiting for the car to drive up and the key in the lock, and <laughs> well, Priscilla wakes up. I usually just sleep. <laughs> But you're waiting for them to come home. When will they be home? Are they going to get home? And then you hear them come in and slam the door and you know, turn on all the lights, check the fridge, and all those normal things which, which happen. But see, the father waits. And I, and I know in this place this morning, there, is, there are some parents who are waiting. And they ask the question, will the prodigal come home? And what I love about the Father is he is filled with compassion. He's not an angry Father. And it says in that verse that he's filled with compassion. The actual literal translation of that is that he to be moved to one's bowels, like gut-wrenching, absolute compassion. And it's the same word compassion used when Jesus talks about that the people are like sheep without a shepherd and he has compassion for them. Or oftentimes there's times when he heals people and, and there's this moment where he says he feels compassion for them. And this is the compassion of Christ. The Father who waits. I caught up with Graham this week and one of we were having a conversation around this. And he said this, which I jotted down. He said, our Father doesn't desert us. He will never leave or forsake us. But he may cry a lot. And I got that. And I think as parents and as fathers, you know, there's that waiting, that longing. And then he ran to his son. You know, you can imagine the father. He's home. He's back. 
And he's been waiting all that time. He's been watching. He's been looking out. And the funny thing is, well, I don't know whether it's funny or not, but old guys don't run. <laughs> In Jewish culture of the time, the patriarch of the family, the old guy, would never run. Like, young guys ran, the ladies sometimes ran, but the old guys, that was something which would never happen. It was considered like an expression of shame in a shame-based culture to actually, for the patriarch, the, the elder statesman of the family, to pick up his robes and run, never. So you can imagine the, the people listening to the story and he says, he ran. See, because the father loves the son more than he's the feeling of shame. He doesn't care what other people think he just wants to get to his son and embrace him. He threw his arms around him. It literally means he fell on his neck and he kissed him. And there's this deep expression of love in the father's embrace. But what I love around this is before repentance, before his speech, there's this moment of embrace and love. Before he has a chance to clean up his life, while he's still in rags and still smells like the pigs, you know, he, he doesn't get the get out round the back, clean yourself up, and then we'll chat speech, which you know, which which we would often give. See, God loves you even when you stink. God loves you even when you stink. That's God's unmerited favor. It's grace. It's the free gift of God. Who's happy about that? Come on, we, we need to understand this because somehow, somehow we've got into our culture, our thinking that God only loves us when we're doing good. When we're, you know, raising our hands and amen and got it all together. I don't know if anyone's got it all together. But God loves us even when we're in the picture, even when it's looking bad, even when it's custard. The, God's love for us does not change. The next verse. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a speech that he's prepared earlier in verse 19. And he busts it out. Hey, you know, just we talked about it the other week. Just make me your hired servant. I'll just come back. I'll try and work my way back into the family. You know, I'll just come and go and just try and work this thing out. So he begins that speech. And, and, and that's the ups and downs. You know, so often we think that we have to work our way back, back to God. Who, who's ever played uh, four square or handball at school? Or anyway, you know, handball, and you've you got the four squares, and you've got to make it to be king, right? In the king position. And then you've made it in school, if you could get to be the king. And then you've got, you got the, like, the queue of kids which stand along the side, waiting for their turn and then you get to be king, and you dominate for as long as you can in that position, and then you get kicked out, and you go back to the end of the queue. And I think so many people live their Christianity like that. They go, okay, I can just get to the king position, and then everything will be sweet, and I will be loved, and it's going to be awesome. And, and they you know, stand in the queue for a while, and they're pretty happy when the other guys get knocked out. Go, that person's gone, that person's gone, and then you get into the four squares. You get to position number one, and you're playing there, and, and, and it's good, and you, can't, and you knock out the next guy. 
and then you get to position number two. Then you go to number three, and then you make it to king, and you be king for a little while, <laughs> and then you miss the ball, and it's back to the end of the queue. <laughs> and, and, and we live that Christianity like that, and we try go up and down, up and down, up and down, and, and we try and think, where, where am I on the queue? Where, you know, am I better than that person that's sitting next to me in church? Where, where, you know, does God love me a little bit more because I'm on the hospitality team, which of course He does. Um, <laughs> but we, we, you know, we 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 try, we try and that. But the thing is that God loves us just the same, whether we're in the pig pen, whether whether we're serving on the door, whether we've got our hands raised, whether we're singing Hallelujah, whether we're wherever we're out on the scale. The Father loves us unconditionally. And we need to understand that. The grace of God. We need a fresh understanding of the goodness of God. It's not a fight your way back up the ladder situation. See, but the verse 22, but the Father said to his servant. So the Father doesn't even let him, he doesn't even let him finish his speech. He cuts him off. He says, I'm not having any of that. We're not even going to go there. We're not even going to talk about it. He says, quick. Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And, and, and this is like this, this, this moment. It's, it's full restoration. It is total redemption. Total redemption. It's, it's you are my son. I love you. And none of the things which the father is calling for the son are necessities. But they were meant to make him know who he was, that he was part of the family, that he was his son. So let's go. We've got bring, bring, bring the best robe and put it on him. Okay, so the robe was a symbol of being a member of the household. The robe meant that he belonged to the family again. And, and this wouldn't just have been any old robe. This it says the best robe in the house. Who would have owned the best robe in the house? The father. So here's the father giving his son the robe. This wayward son is giving him his own robe. Amazing act of love and mercy. See, the father said, I'm not going to wait until you've paid off the debt. See, you don't have to earn your way back into the family. It's simple love, acceptance, and forgiveness. And actually he says, hey, put a ring on his finger. And again, the the original language around here, or so I've read, it, it's, to, it's not just a ring, it's the ring. It's put a ring on his finger, and, and we're talking about a signet ring. And the signet ring, it was like the family seal. In those days, you'd have a ring with a seal on it, which gave you authority to um, sign documents. It was with the family seal. And so the father said, get that ring. Put it on his finger. It's a symbol of authority and acceptance. And then he says, like, get some sandals on his feet, you know, and, and shoes these days, sandals, no big deal these days, right? Like most of you are wearing shoes, I hope. Most people are wearing shoes. But in Bible times, and in these times, wearing shoes was a big thing. And they were only rarely given to those of status. And servants would never have been given shoes of any kind. So the moment the shoes go on the younger son, he's elevated above the status of servant. See, it speaks of position. 
Pharisees, the slaves would go around barefoot. The sons wore shoes. So the Pharisees said, get the shoes. Get to the cupboard, pull out those shoes. Get them on them. And he goes, bring the fatted calf and kill it. The father orders an immediate feast. He says, we're going to celebrate. We're going to have a party. And, and, and it's a sign of celebration, of reconciliation. And, and we're going to talk more about that when we get to the week on banquet, about the fatted calf. It's going to be good. But we need to understand the Father heart of God because how we view the Father is so, so important. And I know some of us have had brilliant dads. Some of us have had average dads. Some of us don't even know who our dads are. So there's, you, I know that we sit in that, but we need to understand the Father heart of God. And Hosea 4.6 says, says, My people are being destroyed because they don't know me. Do we know God? Do we know the Father's heart? And, and I think it's so easily to distort the nature and character of God. And, and we can easily think that everything is God's fault. You know, acts of floods, earthquakes, tsunamis, COVID-19, it's all God's fault, isn't it? It's like <laughs> acts of God. You know, and, and we can live as if we have an angry God who's out there just to smite us if we step out of line, you know? You did that, thunder and lightning, you're gone. Or, or we have the Jesus is coming soon um, thing. And, and, and you better watch out because he's going to catch you unawares. And it's kind of like Jesus is coming soon was almost like, you know, almost like a threat. Make sure you're on your best behavior. Or, or we have the Santa God, you know. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Jesus is coming to town. He's making a list. He's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty or nice. Jesus is coming to town. You know, who, who, how often do we live in that? Have you been naughty or nice? Have you been on your best behaviour? Jesus is watching. You know? And we can live under that view of God, that the divine taskmaster or perfectionist father, where nothing that we ever do is actually quite good enough. And it causes us to see God as the enemy and blame him for everything that goes wrong. I saw this quote the other, the other day and I thought it was quite good. And, and religion, I messed up. My dad is going to kill me. Or gospel, I messed up, I need to call my dad. See, where do we sit? Are we running from God or running to God? We run from the Father, we run to the Father. You know, I was thinking maybe that's why we've got so many songs at the moment on the goodness of God. We need to actually have a fresh revelation that God's a good God. He loves us. A Father who throws parties for the undeserving. That's why, you know, I love, you know, Sunday fun day. It's one of my favourite days of the year because we get to throw a party for the community. And I want to be a part of a church which just throws parties. How cool is that? Whether people deserve it or what, I don't care. Let's just throw parties. Who pays? Who pays? Because here the father bore the cost. 
but also the older brother. If we go back to Luke 15, verse 12, so, so the younger one said to his father, Father, give me a share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And if we know about the patriarchal society, so the younger brother said, give my share now. So he gets a third, and the older brother gets the double portion of two, of two thirds. Okay? And when the, father, so when the father at the end of the story says to the older brother, everything I have is yours, he's speaking the truth. And now that the, the younger brother had squandered his portion, everything that was left, the inheritance, was going to the older brother, right? Okay? So when the father, when he's dishing out robes, rings, calves, he's actually eating into the older brother's inheritance, right? The father's given away the older brother's inheritance. So you can understand why the older brother's a little bit itchy around this. See, grace is not free. See, forgiveness is not free. There's always a cost that has to be paid. When, when we forgive someone, when we let something go, there's always a cost. Like if I crash your car, okay, you may forgive me and say, oh, you don't need to pay, Glenn, it's all, it's all sweet, no worries, it's all good, but someone will need to pay. So either you will bear the cost and just say, oh, you know, we'll just cover it, it's all good, or maybe the insurance company, but there's still a cost. And what I want you to understand is we're not talking about cheap grace. We are talking about the most expensive, costly, laying down of your life grace that sets us free. See, grace is extremely expensive. Jesus paid the price for it on the cross. See, grace is that we don't get what we deserve. It's unmerited favour. We can't earn it. It's a free gift and it's given freely. So we receive freely. We get free grace, the goodness of God. But it costs. It costs someone else. It costs Jesus on the cross. And when we understand that, we operate out of a place of gratefulness and we serve out of a place of gratitude. There's another little parable in the Bible which kind of links in here. Because when we understand grace, it shifts how, how we operate. So it's Jesus, he's at, at the Pharisee's house. And this woman, and it says a sinful woman, turns up and she busts out this alabaster jar of oil and she pours it over Jesus' feet and uses her hair and her tears to wash his, his feet. And, and the Pharisees, they're going nuts. They're totally indignant. They're going, what the heck, Jesus? Do you not know who this woman is? What is going on? And so Jesus, he again, because he's brilliant, he busts out a parable and he says, two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, which is a day's wages, and another 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, said Jesus. He says this, therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown, but whoever has forgiven little loves little. And, and what I've found in church life, that those who know the grace of God, those who know that they are forgiven, those who know the goodness of God, man, they love much. And they serve much. And we need to understand that. 
And we need to get the grace of God. As a church, what I want us to make sure is that we're not sidelined. Out of the game, in the sin bin. Chiefs players, you know what they're like. (laughs) See, I think that so often in church that we have, I don't know, 60%, 70% of our congregation out of the game, in the sin bin, in the naughty corner. And the thing is, see, God doesn't put us there. We put ourselves there. And I've watched this in church and people trying to work their way back in and work it out. And they position themselves slightly aloof. And whether they can function in church life. You know, maybe I drank too much the other night. Maybe I clicked on that porn site. Maybe I swore at the kids. Maybe I smoked that thing I wasn't supposed to. I'd gone through a divorce, had an abortion, messed up. I don't give a rip, whatever it was. Whatever happened. Whether it's the pig pen, whether it's down the road, whether it's just walking out the gate, whether, who cares? See, because often we're wondering, do I match up? And we get back in the queue of the four square thing. We sit on the sideline until someone comes and says, no, get on the field. And as your pastor this morning, can I encourage you and call you to get on the field? It doesn't matter what happened. And you can't live with what happened 10 years, 5 years, 5 minutes ago. We have to step in and receive the Father's embrace. See, if Jesus was on the planet, the sinners, the tax collectors, they loved him, they flocked to him. See, church is for sinners. It's not for perfect people. Who's happy about that? It's for the moral outsiders. I like it when there's people smoking outside church. (laughs) I like it when people come in here and have questions. I like it when people are exploring faith and trying to work it out. I like it when people don't have their lives together. And we as a church have to carry that grace. I don't want to be a church which is any different. I don't want to be the bigoted Pharisee church. I think we've lost our ability to speak into society if we've lost the ability to love. Can I say this morning that you are not sidelined? You're not disqualified. You don't need to earn your way back. You're sons and daughters of the Most High God. And He wants to call you and embrace you into his kingdom. The own I'm no longer worthy speech is cancelled today. You are worthy. See, God's love and forgiveness and pardon every kind of sin and wrongdoing. It's freely given. You don't need to earn it or repay the debt. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. We need a fresh revelation of God's grace, not striving to 
earn favour with God, but because we are redeemed. We are the redeemed people. Let me just finish this. A lesser father, a lesser father would have waited in the house, made the son make the first approach. A lesser father would have stipulated conditions on return instead of rolling out the red carpet of unconditional love. A lesser father would have waited for a proper apology. A lesser father would have waited for some real signs of shame for him to prove himself worthy. A lesser father would have given him a speech rather than a pardon. A lesser father would have made him feel guilty rather than make him feel special. See, the father, he is a waiting father. He is the party thrower. He is the banquet provider. He also uses everything. Nothing is ever wasted. See, what I love about redemption stories is that God uses the failures. He uses the missteps. See, what we often think disqualifies us actually qualifies us. Brokenness is, is, is not a failure. It's, a, it's actually what God uses every time. If it looks too perfect, I wouldn't trust it, to be honest. You just got to be real and accept the love and the goodness of the Father. See, in this place, you know, that there would be a river of grace which would flow through here. Not so that we just keep living in the old ways, but so that we can be part of the family, so that we can function in our rightful place. We carry authority, we put the ring back on. We walk with your head held high, robe of righteousness we not hide and live in regret but live in purpose and in faith see God wants to redeem you he wants to redeem us so that many might be redeemed and I kind of have this little suspicion as I'm preparing this and stating this that, that maybe just maybe God is preparing us as a church you know if God wanted to send a whole lot of prodigals into this place, would we be ready? Would we be prepared? Would we be able to open our arms and embrace? Or would we be the older brother? See, I think there's a whole lot of people out there who would love the father, but they're worried about what they turn up to. And we need to receive the grace of God. Next week I want to talk to you about the older brother and it's a hard message, I'll tell you that. It's challenged me. Come on, let's just stand.